When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a different type of podcast here on Post Show Recaps as we find ourselves at a nexus point. Two fantasy series, both alike in dignity, coming to our screens within a little bit of time from each other. House of the Dragon on HBO Max and The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. And we found this a fantastic excuse to do Someone that honestly has been in the hopper amongst the post-show recaps behind the scenes machinations for some time because it's been a really big era for fantasy adaptations on the small screen. Uh, And so we found this was the best time as we were on the precipice of two brand new, high quality, high caliber fantasy series to break down our thoughts about not only what to expect from these two series, comparing and contrasting each other, but from the world of fantasy and its various worlds therein uh, for years to come, hopefully. And I am joined by two gentlemen here who, of course, are no strangers uh, when it comes to fantasy. In fact, they are going to be two of the heads on the Three-Headed Dragon. That is our book club podcast here on House of the Dragon, as well as some of our coverage on the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power as well. Let me start with the guy who is the Venn diagram at the center of all of this. You know him as DM Philly, but he is covering all things fantasy here on Post Show Recaps, including uh, previous coverage of The Wheel of Time, The Legend of Vox Machina, currently The Sandman, and is, of course, the great Rich Filberto. Rich, how are you? 
I am excellent, Mike. I'm so delighted. I can't believe that we have this incoming flood of fantasy coming our way. It's going to be a lot, my friend. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it all. All right. And hopefully putting up some sandbags alongside us is a guy who is more so, I think, known for uh, his takes on reality in the realm of television. Very excited probably to be talking about fantasy television for a hot second. Always happy to welcome Taryn Armstrong. Taryn, how are you? I'm great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always any chance to talk fantasy. Uh, I'm always down. Uh, I read uh, so so much of it. Uh, so um, it's very exciting seeing all these uh, these adaptations. I think it's really again like kind of the Game of Thrones effect, uh, which I think happened because of the Lord of the Rings effect. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, the fact that we're now getting uh, two of these spinoffs at the same time is uh, is pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, it really is the Ouroboros, right? The world serpent eating his own tail, if you will, where when it comes to specifically Lord of the Rings versus the Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire stuff, obviously George R. R. Martin has expressed as much. He's been inspired by the works of J.R.R. Tolkien and the world of Middle-earth, which inspired him to write about Westeros, produces this adaptation that is wildly successful, which therein produces other streaming services and networks to say, okay, what's the next Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. And we've seen that to certain uh, certain regards. You've talked about Wheel of Time. The Witcher is obviously, in my opinion, Netflix's attempt to make a Game of Thrones. And I think leads to this adaptation of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. So, Rich, it does truly feel like, much like a ring itself, it's coming full circle. It is. It is full circle. I mean, uh, when we talk about fantasy, you have to talk about the Lord of the Rings, right? Tolkien sets the stage for so much of of what has come in the decades since. And I think that those Lord of the Rings films, they come at like the turn of the millennia, you know, the early 2000s. We get those movies coming out and they broke the mold. I mean, they changed the style of filmmaking that, that Jackson sits down to do them all bang in one like proper shoot right um they did like pickups and a lot of like post work on it but they filmed those three movies pretty much over like a 20 month period in one shot and the success that they found for a mainstream audience was staggering right and has left these reverberations that make people like me very happy to drink up the kind of uh waves the, the ripples reverberating all these years later of this stuff there's such wildly different properties when you look at Mm. them in terms of Tolkien's goal writing the Lord of the Rings he was inspired by fables by folklore he was trying to write the folklore for a modern Britain uh, in the 20th century right whereas Peter Jackson is so much more inspired by history in ways that Tolkien was not right Tolkien was like a linguist and when you look at the world he created Jackson's A Song of Ice and Fire or uh, Martin's rather it's like a it's a direct response and so many ways to the the good guys don't just win at the end we don't just walk off into the sunset in these kind of epic battles for good and evil where the bad guys are so clearly defined right let's explore the morality of the characters a little bit more deeply with something that mirrors real world history in a very real way right he's so inspired by the war of the roses and a number of other things for the song of ice and fire in particular it's going to be really wild to see these two worlds existing side by side simultaneously over this couple of months right yeah so if people have been listening to our house of the dragon lead up coverage which you absolutely should be because this is also coming out on the game of thrones feed as well i know that all three of us have sort of made our respective histories known with the world of westeros as well as game of thrones 
I have also given my own Tolkien history, uh, but we have not heard it from the two of you. Let's fill in the sides of this triangle because while neither one of you have spoken about it, I know that one of you uh, is very much dug into it all. But I want to start with the unknown quality. Taryn, you, you came in here talking about how much fantasy that you read. When did sort of the, the works of J.R.R. Tolkien start falling into that chronology for you? Um, that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, so I think really, I mean, technically I was introduced to, to fantasy by, by Harry Potter. Cause that's like, uh, I read that when I was a very young child, like when the first book came out pretty much. Um, and so, but, but I, that never like was the same kind of fantasy to me. I was mm -hmm. introduced properly to fantasy by the movie, the first, uh, the fellowship of the ring. Um, I remember going to see that in theaters when it came out and being, so confused at the ending mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like wait a minute that's not an ending to a movie uh and it was like my first real proper introduction to like epic storytelling mm -hmm. um and like this cool fantasy that was well, that was different than like you know xeno warrior princess or like whatever else was on television at the time uh and so or at least that i saw um so uh that was that was the first thing and then i think uh as the movies got really popular um you know all, all of my friends started reading the books and i so i started uh i think I, but no you know what it was uh, i started reading reading wheel of time first um, Huzzah. And so I got really into Wheel of Time. And then I was like, okay, I should probably read the Lord of the Rings books now that it, the movies are so popular. I read those. Uh, this is all like in high school at this point. Um, the uh, Wheel of Time was in middle school. Uh, so I read the books. I liked the books. I've always been uh, like a fan of Lord of the Rings. I think the movies are great. Uh, I played video games of the Lord of the Rings that were great. Um, and uh, the ones based on the movies were the, were the best. Um, and uh, and so I, I really enjoyed the books, but I was never like it's never been my favorite series. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I really respect the amount of work and effort and detail uh, like nobody will ever be able to match just the sheer amount of world building that Tolkien did with the Lord of the Rings and uh, like the, the world that he created. And I have so much respect for that. Um, it's, but it's, it's, you know, for me, it's, it was just one of the sort of like entry points into fantasy that sort of kicked off a larger love for it. Um, and then it was uh, Game of Thrones that like really, uh, Song of Ice and Fire that really like reignited my love for fantasy um, when I started reading that, uh, probably toward the end of high school, early uh, entry point into college. And then I started really just uh, diving into all kinds of fantasy. Uh, so, yeah. All right, Rich, I know that you said Peter Jackson is into histories, but give us yours, because I know you absolutely love the world of Middle-earth, and it's very foundational to your own love of fantasy, but when did you start getting involved with that love? I'm sure I've talked about this on one of these podcasts somewhere, but but literally one of the earliest memories I have as a human is the image of Gollum as depicted in the, I always get them mixed up of the Rankin and Bass Hobbit or the Bob Bakshi Hobbit. Yeah, Ralph Bakshi. No, Ralph Bakshi did the Lord of the the one Lord of the Rings movie. He did the Lord of the Rings and Rankin and Bass did the Hobbit one. Yeah. Uh, it was it was in the Lord of the Rings film. And so in the animated ones that came out like late 70s, right? I had 
had this very strange apparatus as like a four-year-old kid that was kind of a Fisher-Price device. And it came with these little golden books kind of that went alongside audio tapes. And there were these distinct, like the four colors, the, the primary colors that you would push for like the different pages of the books to fast forward or rewind the tape to the appropriate spot. I realized this is a hard left turn that I'm taking, but, but I'm getting the point that I had this little animated book um, with the images from that original Lord of the Rings property and those Gollum pictures with the big giant eyes and the green face are one of my formative memories. Before I had any conception of what Gollum was or really could get my head around what I was understanding. Uh, so I would like grow up and end up falling in love. I start playing Dungeons and Dragons by the time I'm 10 years old. I'm aware of The Hobbit. I've seen the animated films. I've read the book The Hobbit, but um, it was my stepmother that was like, Dungeons and Dragons like have you read the lord of the rings and she got me the trilogy right then when i was 11 and i was like well i better read these and they became a uh, repeated reading for me annually every year like right around this time of year where the summer starts to grow like kind of old it's it's autumn you could smell it coming around the corner right uh the, the nights are getting cooler and i would be like well it's time to adventure again and i would break out the lord of the rings and read through the series so, I mean, you talk about the video games, Taryn, but I remember seeing a Lord of the Rings role-playing game for the Super Nintendo in like 1995 and being like, oh my God, it exists. This white whale I've been searching for. And I went and got it. It was horrible. It was so <laughs> agonizingly hard and difficult. I don't think I ever made it out of the Shire. I was getting killed by barrel whites left and right. Um, and then I hear that they're making these movies and there's this excitement in the air. I remember distinctly being in my freshman year of college, talking to my friend that, no, no, the movies, they, they got made. They're coming out next year. And I'm like, but wait, who's going to play Frodo? They're like, remember the kid from Indian in the cupboard? Elijah Wood. And I lost it. I was like apoplectic, Mike, beside myself that I couldn't get my head around. Sean Astin, they got Rudy is going to play Sam. I was freaking out. And I went to those theaters and it brings up an interesting point that at the time, the adaptation that Peter Jackson did deviated a lot from the source material. And there were some real hardcore fans that were getting what can only be viewed as a masterful adaptation of the work in hindsight. And they were mad. Uh, mm -hmm. They were mad. Justice for Tom Bombadil. Yeah. Uh, so it was a really surreal experience because I remember coming out of that like, gosh, they missed so much. But that was incredible. Like, that was actually an incredible movie. This is right around the time that The Phantom Menace had just come out, too. And and the dichotomy between, like, walking out of that film experience and then The Lord of the Rings. Like, one of these I was very joyful for. And it was definitely not Star Wars, right? Um, so, yeah, I love The Lord of the Rings. Like, deeply, fully, wholly. I've read The Silmarillion a couple of times. I am not uh, Stephen Colbert, encyclopedic... Hmm. Uh, lore master, but I love it uh, with every fiber of my soul, right? Yeah, so to that point, I, I want to start, again, comparing and contrasting these Darling series that are coming up, because while they sort of look perhaps similar on the outside, they both reside in this realm of genre that's referred to as high fantasy. Uh, Taryn, I think it's really interesting you bring up Harry Potter, because I think when we talk about fantasy, in my opinion, there are a couple different types. Harry Potter is more of an example of what's known as low fantasy, right? Where it is our typical, real, regular, regular world, but add some magical, fantastical elements on top of it. That's where, like, uh, the magicians, uh, the book series and TV series might come into play as well, as opposed to more of a high fantasy 
completely mythical world built from the ground up. But despite the fact that they sort of exist within uh, the same sphere here, they do look incredibly different. And I want to start with sort of the the pull that it is coming from, because technically these are both pulling from books, but in very, very different ways. It has been talked about by all of us on our House of the Dragon Lead Up podcast about how this is going to be an adaptation directly of the book Fire and Blood, about a specific section of the book adapting those historical events to the screen. Whereas the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, we are a little bit more unmoored here. We are the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo and Sam paddling that rowboat away to parts unknown uh, before our young Taron Armstrong got extremely confused as to why that was the ending. <laughs> I'm really intrigued from your perspective, Taron, as someone who has had a lifetime, I'm, I'm imagining, full of watching these adaptations play out from reading to screen just carte blanche like would you rather check out an adaptation of a series that you love or more so a different type of series set with like maybe new characters maybe new events but in a world that you know uh i think uh, honestly i i prefer the direct adaptations um mostly because uh i have more faith in the authors of uh these stories you know writing the the framework for other people to uh you know then it's just a matter of like how much do they screw it up versus like okay you've not only you've less than a framework you've created like uh like a a world where they're going to create the framework and then then create the show uh and you have to place a lot more faith into unknowns and that's kind of where we are with House of the Dragon and Lord of the Rings, uh, I think like the, you know, less so I think with uh, House of the Dragon, where there's some people that came on from Game of Thrones. We know that uh, that there are like some experienced hands there, but I, I'm, I think with with the Rings of Power, um, it's, it's mostly just like some unknown, uh, you know, uh, people, um, not a lot of uh, experience, uh, you know, with this stuff. Um, I don't know what kind of writers they've, they've hired on for the show yet, but um, there's also like, a difference in obviously uh Tolkien isn't around to um you know advise for Rings of Power where whereas uh George R. R. Martin is for uh House of the Dragon. So um that's interesting. But I've always I've always really enjoyed adaptations. Um mm. I'm somebody that loved watching uh the um Wheel of Time adaptation, even though a lot of book readers were like very annoyed with all of the changes. I really enjoy getting myself into the headspace of like, okay, why was this decision made? Um, this is a really interesting way to express this or to tell this part of the story. Um, and I like, I'm very much okay in my head with like, okay, I already have the book in my head. Now this is something else that is different that is on top of it. Um, and I really enjoy those things. The reason why, you know, the end of Game of Thrones sucked for me is because I didn't have that in my, mm. I didn't have the foundation of the book. And so the show is like, you're ruining everything. Um, so uh, I think I prefer the the more direct adaptations, but this isn't, this isn't really something that's happened a lot where they're taking uh, existing book series is, is, and the worlds that they created and then making a show entirely, almost entirely from scratch based on those. So I'm very curious to see how it plays out. I'm assuming that the adaptation outrage that pretty much always comes from adaptations will be less than it normally would be. And I wonder if that's part of the decision to, to do this. 
Yeah, Rich, where do you stand on all of this? Because again, as someone who has checked out a lot of adaptations, covered the Wheel of Time as well, what are your thoughts about nowadays, especially adaptations directly versus new series set in a world? I think to Terrence's point, the only other example I can really think of at the moment is The Witcher Blood Origin, which apparently is happening soon, but that's another example, right? Of like, here's a few scattershot events from Andrei Sapkowski's work, but really we're building from the ground up. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, I mean, I've talked about a lot of adaptations just this year on Post Show Recaps. Like, we're covering Sandman as we speak here. And I think it's one of the kind of pinnacle adaptations that we've seen in comic books. Like, top five, maybe, if not the best there is. I mean, it's it's quite, quite good. And there are others that missed the mark. And to Taryn's point, um, you know, I, I talked about walking out of the Fellowship of the Rig. Like, oh, geez, Tom Bombadil. Oh, Glorfindel. And you know, in a lot of ways, I learned that lesson 20 years ago that first movie taught me how to be like so satisfied with the adaptation process and being like well this is different but it's still really great and that thing that i love it's still right here on my bookshelf if i love it that much i could go ahead and read it again um so i think that we're in a really fascinating spot especially with these two properties because i think the magnifying glass ironically is coming down a lot harder on the lord of the rings work on the rings of power than it is on fire and blood and i think that part of that is that not as many people have read fire and blood and so house of the dragon is coming in off the cachet of the show which has its own baggage with it to taryn's point about the ending right uh, i think in that way both these franchises are returning to these spin-offs after a misstep on their last outing let's say right if we're going to examine the final seasons of game of thrones and the Hobbit trilogy uh, mm. compared to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? So I think that both of them are coming back into the space with a little bit of something to prove. Like, no, no, we're, we could do better than that. Um, and they're obviously very separate works and different creators involved in them. But I think that the scrutiny is going to be harder for Lord of the Rings even though they are not working off a literal bit of text and what they're adapting. They're going to draw a lot from my understanding from the appendices of the Lord of the Rings series proper and like less so from the Silmarillion. It's all set in the second age. But I think that when you start tapping characters like Galadriel, these yeah. are names that are like transcendent, you know, for people that have not ever read the books, they know who Galadriel is. She was Kate Blanchett who did the scary thing and told Frodo, don't give me the ring. I'll be a dark terrible queen right and so if we're gonna take her back out again like we have to show some reverence there whereas i'm very excited but nobody uh gives an f if we mess up damon targaryen right damon targaryen has not uh like cemented himself in the zeitgeist of pop culture right um so we got to be really careful with how these things come and i think it's really interesting to see like where the tension is thus far with neither of these things having premiered uh but i say to everybody out there like keep your minds open my friends be prepared to be entertained because i think that there's a lot of money getting spent in a lot of good places and they're gonna be good shows uh yeah yeah, I mean, a lot of money being spent yeah. is probably an understatement. I cannot talk enough about how much Amazon has spent for most expensive TV show ever made thus far. I think it's like a five-season commitment at the moment to the point of they did Jackson it. I believe they filmed seasons one and two back-to-back -back as well. So, like, loosely confirmed for a season two, barring any catastrophic crashes and burns. I want to touch upon a point that you made earlier, Rich. And another reason why I think these two worlds can be so differentiated is... The distinct tone 
that resides differently between these two, at least with the Middle Earth that we're aware of from, from again, Tolkien's sort of like initial impulse, right? Where he was writing about this very much inspired by being a part of World War, uh, I forget if it was one or two, uh, you know, just like very much regarding the the beauty that can come out of such dire circumstances and really having, in my opinion, I think especially compared to Westeros, a much more romanticized uh, oh, tone yeah. of how things work. I mean, Taryn, from your vantage point, do you expect the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power to continue immersing itself around that perspective? Or do you think to the point we made earlier of like, this is Amazon's attempt to be the next Game of Thrones, they might skew into some of that darker material? Yeah, I think that's the 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 biggest issue for the Rings of Power is that, um, you know, they are, the tone is so different, right? The, the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit uh they are books that bring me back to to my childhood to a degree mm -hmm. like when i was reading fantasy for the first time and going on an adventure was so magical um and like meeting these new people and and races and cultures and uh you know uh even songs sometimes uh mm -hmm. maybe a lot of times in the lord <laughs> of the rings um <laughs> songs and, and so, food that's that's tolkien's yeah, wheelhouse um and and that was you know that was part of what drew me in with wheel of time as well like just going on an adventure and stuff like that and then wheel of time kind of eventually shifts tones to more of a game of thrones type uh type uh situation and and for me it is that you know song of ice and fire is really the thing that cemented my love for fantasy because uh, at the end of the day, for as much as I do love the adventure and the magical and the the whimsy and the you know soft magic systems and the, all of that, um, for me it, it it's all about like uh, when when I read enough, it's all about character and it's all about uh, you know the more realistic the characters, the more realistic the setting, even in a fantastical way, um, the more I'm going to enjoy uh, the story. And so, I think that. I think that tends to track as well. I think the success of Game of Thrones comes down to its characters and um, and you know the the setting being pretty relatable and the drama being very soap opera uh, and and all of that, right? Um, I I think most people don't didn't come to Game of Thrones thinking, yeah, it's got dragons. That's why I want to watch it. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know. Lord of the Rings is, I think, a, a little bit different. Lord of the Rings is like, it was a marvel unto itself. It was this big adventure thing. Uh, but even then, like, uh, it took, I think, a little while for it to cross into the mainstream before people started, like, respecting it. Because at least my memory as a kid is that, like, I went to go see it, and it was fun, and I liked it. But it was a, th it's a thing that, like, nerdy people did. Like, people mm -hmm. that liked Star Trek and Star mm -hmm. Wars, they were the same people that liked Lord of the Rings. Um, and... I, to my memory, it wasn't really until like the third movie when it started winning a ton of awards that yep. it started being a little more, more like, oh yeah, it's a respectable series. Um, so, uh, so th what's interesting to me is that I feel like the the instinct, as you mentioned, Mike, will be, yeah, let's make the Lord of the Rings more gritty, more like, uh, you know, maybe a little more low fantasy, maybe not, but at least more like, you know, focused on uh realism and hopefully more focused on character i think you can focus on character regardless of how like historical or mythological your story is um but uh so that that would be what i hope they do is that uh no matter which direction they go in as long as your characters are really really solid um i think you'll do okay um my worry is that they focus too much on 
trying to balance that tone of like it's it's an adventure and it's magical and also though game of thrones political stuff and that they leave the characters behind uh so i'm very curious to see how they manage it because i think that there will be expectations going in that lord of the rings is going to feel sort of sort of like star trek a lot of people expect star trek to be one thing and more recent adaptations or adaptations more recent star trek shows have been more Mm. like of another thing like this doesn't feel star trek to me uh so yeah i'm very curious to see how they walk that line and i think it's going to be very difficult for them to get it right yeah what are your thoughts rich do you think that to taryn's point are they going to try to essentially like snyder middle earth of mm. try grittier and darker is what sells let's let's do it it's funny you say it but i mean that's the issue right is is this a song of ice and fire is grim dark fantasy right i mean there's many like sub genres within the genre right and both of them are very kind of low magic stories when you compare them to something like the wheel of time right the wheel of time like there's crazy magic happening uh by the time we get deep into that series in ways that there never really is in the lord of the rings or a song of ice and fire in terms of the books that we've gotten so far right um and and the world of middle earth is a much more outwardly fantastical place than westeros right there is wild magic in in the world that contains westeros but most of it's on like other continents like we we barely kind of see valyria whatever was going on over there beyond the wall like there's magic but it's very very subdued and to the point of what took there right i mean the big elevator pitch was it's the sopranos but uh but lord of the rings right and and people did love the politics and the characters you're getting characters like Varys and Littlefinger and Cersei that are like just delectable to to watch on screen with such incredible performers and actors like casting those roles was part of the magic there too. Um, so I think that to the point of what Taryn's talking about, fundamentally, like characters are what are going to make or break this thing i think um and having an idea for the framework of the story we're going to get in house of the dragon it's high politics it's targaryens there are dragons flying around everywhere i know that the blueprint that they have is one that like should outwardly be successful so i'm wildly curious to see what the rings of power is doing with this story what is this story about i have an idea of some of the people that will turn up but um with the cast being relatively unknown with a lot of the like the story that we're going to go on being unknown i'm just filled with curiosity to see what's there and how it plays out because to taryn's point like you know you show up for the flashy dragons maybe but the characters are what keep me going um 15 books of the wheel of time i mean that's what i fell in love with in that series is of the 2000 and whatever characters that are there at least 800 of them are like really excellent um yeah i'm very curious to see what they're going to do with these rings mike lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. 
No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I also think the worlds with the adaptations that we know are both forms of allegory to the point rich of the elevator pitch on Game of Thrones. But I feel like they're both allegorical, at least from what we know at the moment. Again, things might change with the rings of power. They might surprise us in this way, but allegorical in their intentions in very different ways. There's been a lot of chatter about the Lord of the Rings, right? And there's a reason why I think Westeros by comparison typically has like one race involved, right? That you might have people from different continents, but like relatively speaking, everyone's a human. Everyone is humanoid. Unless you're a dead human. Yeah, exactly. Um, the only good human is a dead human. Uh, House Greyjoy would uh, beg to differ <laughs> on that one. But I do think that it's incredibly interesting compared to, you know, uh, my wife Angela and I did a little primer podcast last week of like everything you need to know about the world of Middle Earth. And we kind of copiously went through a lot of the major races. And there was certainly a lot of allegory that Tolkien was pouring in there as someone who was dealing with the rise of fascism and Nazism and eugenics, right? About this idea of the elves don't want to mix their blood with the humans and the, you know, the, the general rivalries and borderline racism between elves and dwarves, as an example. Game of Thrones avoids that, but I think supports it more so with the points that have been made earlier, sort of like the political allegories, right? That Jackson supported a bit, you know, you have your 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 Rohan stuff with Theoden and, and Wormtongue and all that. But for the most part, to Taryn's point, it's more so about the journey, less so about those political things. And again, I, I do wonder, Taryn, if the Lord of the Rings will try to skew more into that direction now, uh, especially considering like how mainstream some of those other topics that Tolkien has mentioned before have come to the forefront in many different ways in our pop culture. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be tough for Rings of Power to be an adventure story, right? Like, uh, it, it's hard to repeat those things. Uh, the, the sort of, like, political machinations is a little more evergreen uh, because those things exist so frequently um, and they can be so character-focused. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's it's kind of like what what they tried to do with the new Star Wars movies, where they tried to make it mm -hmm. like another Death Star, another mm -hmm. like uh, you know, we got to do the same thing again. Like if if it's like okay, so Rings of Power, guess what? There are some rings we need to destroy. Uh, I think people will be like, what? No, 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 we're not into this. Uh, so like 
will we have that sense of adventure? I think is a, a question to to even start with. I, I I kind of assume again. I don't really know much at all about what this story is going to be. I don't know how much information we have, but like I assume not. I assume this is going to be more uh you know focused around um like like filling in a society that existed right and um i'm sure there will be little little plot lines here and there but this is also a tv show and you know uh tv shows tend to have like a home base uh for the most part or at least a couple of home bases so i'm kind of assuming that we're going to be like you know sat down into a couple of locations and we'll go out and have like little mini adventures, but it'll mostly be about, uh, the, the characters and the, you know, stuff happening around probably some big looming threat, but we'll, we'll kind of probably not be adventuring the whole time. That's my assumption. Yeah. So rich to that point, uh, to, you know, give the ghost a bit away when it comes to the rings of power, Again, to go back to perhaps it trying to embody a bit of the Game of Thrones uh, wildfire aspects, like at least what I am gleaning from a lot of the, albeit, you know, minimal details that we know about the story seems to indicate to me that it is very much going for specifically that like seasons one through four of Game of Thrones approach, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, okay, the elves have their own storyline, you know, mm -hmm. the humans, uh, we have their own storyline on, on uh, you know, on their own entire island, on Numenor, the dwarves have their entire thing. And mm -hmm. maybe the adventuring will happen with the halfling slash Harfoot slash Hobbits, but that's just because they are nomadic in nature. Uh, so do you think that is something that it is trying to invoke into that that Game of Thrones idea? Or does that just come with the territory of okay in the second age there really wasn't a lot of everyone mixing together to go on one big adventure as a fellowship of nine yeah so i think that adventure is so kind of paramount and fundamental to the lord of the rings i think that part of what the rings of powers creators need to not do is get trapped in this idea that they should be recreating game of thrones i think that that's my actual concern that they're going to stray too far away from what makes middle earth special i think that when you look at the lord of the rings proper the character development there isn't like profound these are not the most well-realized characters that is not the strength of that series it is about the world building to what taryn said earlier it's about how granular the the texture of that world is when we start to meander our way through it. So I think to the point of we're going to stop in on the dwarves, on the elves, on the humans in Numenor, maybe the humans in Rohan. Let's see the Harfoots, the, the halflings, as it were. Um, there should be little adventures happening, but but they shouldn't be trying to recreate the magic of the first time that it doesn't need to be an existential threat to end the world of now we need to get the party together to travel across the world to save everyone it can be much more smaller and intimate than that and i think that that's what i hope we're getting out of this first season is introduce me to a couple of characters from these different parts of the world that can help me fall in love with those parts of the world again right and can take me on small adventures that exist within those spaces so as you want to draw your story out more and build it up i have an investment in the people that are going to be taken on whatever this mission journey quest thing is right um and, and to the nature of the house of the dragons i mean uh much less an adventure than um politics which is going to be very very fun to see play out yeah I, I i just feel like um what i hope they they don't do is rely on the lord of the rings to be like your investment in the world mm -hmm. right like hey look at these lord of the rings characters that you already care about yep. 
Look at this world that you look, look at some hobbits. You like hobbits, right? Um, and then kind of like go from there. What I would love from this show is to have them make me more invested in the world so that if I went back to Lord of the Rings, I actually care more about Middle Earth than I did before because now I know more of the history and more of like how it got to be that way um, and, and, and stuff like that. Like that's like, I hope that they don't skip that step. I hope that they start with let's really invest you in these characters in this world um, and, uh, and go from there. That's, that's going to be like my first, the first thing I'm looking for. Something I said a lot, Mike, when we were covering Obi-Wan and in the lead up to that was how they have the opportunity for this to be additive to what exists already, right? Right. And that's what you're saying here that I'm like, so with you, Taryn, right? It's It's got to not just be about the fanfare and the spectacle and the CGI and the, the member berries of it all, right? Not like the, oh, look, Lothlorien, ooh, you know, DiCaprio, the TV, there it is, everybody. Okay, move on. Um, I hope that there's substance to what they give us. And, and to that point, that they're able to remind us why we fell in love with this place in the first place and give us more reason to invest more deeply in it. Because I think a lot of the failing of the Hobbit trilogies was exactly what you're articulating, mm -hmm. right? It was yeah. like, oh, look, the place, right? It's the thing. Oh, dwarves, right? You love dwarves? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I think, and also it, it's going to be really interesting. The one tenet that's going to exist throughout the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Hobbit trilogy, and has been outright confirmed for the Rings of Power is the existence of Sauron. And the Hobbit trilogy, they try this weak-ass thing with like, oh, there's a necromancer that I'm going to go because <laughs> Gandalf has to do something in the Battle of the Five Armies. And so he's going to face down this like blob of a spirit. Uh, whereas Rings of Power, they have outright confirmed that to the point, Taryn, about like fleshing out the world, my hope and expectation uh albeit maybe a bit misguided we'll see you know eight weeks from now is that i do think this will hopefully do a good job of like sketching out sauron as a villain because in the lord of the rings as awesome as that freaking glowing eye is we really don't know much about him again he's really shrouded in mystery with the exception of those flashbacks with galadriel's you know initial narrative and then when elrond speaks more about it like Outside of that deleted scene in Return of the King, right, when he finally steps down and we have the infamous four Frodo scene, we don't really deal a lot with him directly. And my hope is that in having him interact with someone like Celebrimbor, uh, who is the elven jeweler who sort of gets coerced slash conned into making the actual rings of power, that it'll be able to, I think, provide some rationality and maybe humanity to this character that my hope, at least, Rich, is to then support okay this is how he ends up becoming the eye in the sky yeah it's pretty tremendous we talked a lot about darth vader this year mike and mm -hmm. how he's the greatest movie villain of all time but sauron does quite a good job for being unseen right as a non-existent presence uh, an entity with no physical embodiment he's a real tremendous villain if we're gonna lean on him we have to lean on him yeah i mean they need to um put weight there because it is an idea of evil that looms over the world in the text of the lord of the rings right i mean he's even less present in the text than he is in the films or at least in the films, we see that big terrifying eye uh, staring across the world, right? So if we're going to use him, then we need to use him well. We can't just hand wave a necromancer onto the screen and call it an antagonist realized, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it is, it's very like uh, like uh, Hans, the Han Solo movie versus like the Rogue One movie, right? Like at least from mm -hmm. my perspective, like mm -hmm. I thought Rogue One was great and it provided like this 
cool little story that had its own plot really like, within the story that made me care more about like the original trilogy and where it started and like that little piece of detail like oh there's like a little bit of extra history to that that makes it more special uh at, at least uh, for me i love i love rogue one uh whereas like the han solo movie just felt like uh look it's the these things you like going on mm-hmm. a nice little romp um like uh like no um and yeah like i i you know I think the the presence of so many familiar things is uh, on one hand can be really great because it can provide that extra context. On the other hand, it, you know, if they're like, look at, look at Sauron, he's like super bad, right? He sucks. They have to use it as a foundation, not a crutch, right? Yeah. They have to build on it and not lean on it. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it's good to have those occasional characters show up, albeit in a different fashion, which Lord of the Rings has also been very adamant of like, we're going to see Galadriel, we're going to see Eldron because again, elves, age, etc. a little bit of extended lifespan, but like they've been very adamant to say they're in different places as mm-hmm. characters than they are in the mainstream series, which is good uh, because I yeah. think that it also escapes that trap, right? Of having the fan be like, that's not our Elrond. He wouldn't do that. Uh, and so at least now they're able to say he's of a different age. It's of a different time. It's of a different character. And to that point, Taryn, it sort of like hits that happy medium, right? Of, okay, here's a character that you can associate with an anchor onto but at least it's a different new way of looking at the character to then be able to help, you know, reignite that spark. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, talk about, you know, a better call Saul to breaking mm-hmm. bad at this oh, point. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's the way to do it. Like that, that is the, the shining example at this point. Um, you know uh, so yeah, I, 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 I hope again, and I think it's, it's just, again, it's just so, it's so dependent on making sure that the characters land, um, and that we get invested in this world. And I do like the idea of like, um, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, like the Hobbit or like Lord of the Rings where it's, uh, you know, it follows that same formula. I think it can be a little bit more of a hybrid, but I do hope that they don't go like too grimdark with it. Um, you know, or, or to, you know, Star Wars, uh, sequel trilogy to it with it, where it's just like, uh, flashy references everywhere. So those are my two biggest concerns, I think for sure. Let's talk about the state of fantasy in general, because we invoked it in the beginning of this podcast, but I very much personally get this feeling just from, you know, the capitalist bottom dollar always wins perspective of, part of the reason at least why a lot of these fantasy adaptations are happening is because of this need to like quote unquote be the next game of thrones and we even spoken about before with like how much will the rings of power take on that darker grittier more political tone that made game of thrones so popular taryn do you feel like that's a way creators should be going moving forward um i mean i they're not gonna be able to recreate game of thrones uh i i they have to know that i would assume um it's just it's just not going to happen uh you know i think that i think that game of thrones had the perfect mix of ingredients to attract that massive audience but lots of things do as well uh, and they don't like there's a level of uh just like a spark of random you know luck that happens to create those sorts of things so, you know, what I would hope is that they just continue there. What I would hope is that they're okay with like most of, most of the people that watch these shows are going to be people that like fantasy. Like this is not going to capture the mainstream attention like Game of Thrones is because 
almost nothing does. Like there hasn't really been any show since Game of Thrones that has captured the mainstream, uh, you know, uh, just like zeitgeist in the way that uh, that Game of Thrones did. Uh, so if they have those expectations, then I think we're all doomed for failure because they're, they'll cancel the show, they'll cut the budget, like whatever it is. Um, what I'm hoping is that they recognize that there is a huge audience for fantasy specifically. Uh, I mean, look at the numbers that Brandon Sanderson is pulling on his like oh kickstarters. Like, mm. uh, there's a massive audience for this content. And if they're okay with catering to that audience and not hoping that it strikes mainstream, but making very good fantasy content for fantasy audiences that is so good that maybe maybe they do get lucky and get some mainstream success like i think that's the recipe that they should try to follow personally with zero you know uh mind and business <laughs> like I, I don't have a lot of experience with it but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we've lived through some like very fascinating times in terms of the evolution of broadcast television right i mean we have seen kind of the death of the network channels for the rise of cable tv and now as we live in this like advent of the streaming wars and the binge shows like is there ever really going to be another game of thrones like tv watching has changed fundamentally was there ever another seinfeld another friends was there ever really another like sopranos like the next game of thrones like it's going to come out of nowhere if anything can capture the zeitgeist in the same way again because the audiences are so factionalized and compartmentalized we all are watching stranger things but we're not all watching it one episode at a time over a period of 10 weeks together where we can linger in it and talk Talk about it and culturally like immerse ourselves in it for a third of a year right it's such a paradigm shift in the way that we take this stuff in that is fundamental to what game of thrones success was right i mean like hasn't maybe there already been the next game of thrones was it ted lasso like i realize i'm saying crazy things here but like in other words, these shows like come up all of a sudden, like people get caught up. It's in the zeitgeist. Everybody's talking about it. We all got to talk about it. But the life cycle is so compressed now in the way that so many of these shows release. And let's get real. Uh, the Rings of Power is premiering on Amazon Prime. Like 80% of the people in my life above the age of 40 do not understand that there's television on Amazon. Right. Um, there. There's so many hurdles to overcome to get the stuff to the viewer that is going to become this massive audience, whereas HBO is a marquee name, right? I mean, this is like top shelf TV uh, in terms of what TV is. There are people that have never owned cable, never paid a, a day for cable in their lives that know exactly what HBO is. They know the sound of when the static comes on the screen at the beginning of the episode, right? Um and, and Game of Thrones was so word of mouth. That first season was what it was, but it wasn't until season three that the Red Wedding is happening. And we're getting the live react vids on YouTube that like it really exploded to the next level. Right. So I don't know. There's a lot of hurdles, but but it's clear that I exist in a echo chamber of fantasy, fantasy, fantasy. There is more of an appetite for this stuff than ever before right there's there's generations that have now grown up on harry potter and star wars prequels and there's so much of this stuff out there uh dungeon the dragons like bigger than ever i mean we podcasted about an animated television show mike mm -hmm. this year that was made based on a dungeons and dragons campaign like it, it's 
going to be successful. There are going to be people that love both these series for whatever they are. Um, so I just hope that they're aware that it's out there and that they're able to find it and, and put some positivity into it as it is airing over the next couple of months. Yeah, to the points that both of you made, it is wild to think about, but I really do think television in the 2010s was defined by Game of Thrones, right? Mm -hmm. It ran for yeah, the majority for sure. of the decade from 2011 to 2018, and it was, in my opinion, the last show that everyone kind of rallied around. There are certainly shows like your Better Call Saul's, you know, like your Successions, like your Stranger Things, that certainly it feels like pockets of the internet are talking about you don't have the whole pair of pants talking about it in the way that people were talking about Game of Thrones and the way that people were pirating it. And there were big, you know, marquee headlines all the time about and bets coming in about who's going to take the Iron Throne. Now, look, perhaps it's also dependent on the way and the reception behind the Game of Thrones ending as well, then perhaps makes viewers a little more hesitant. Or to Rich, it could be your point about the siloing of it all, about how everything does feel so distinctly separate and there's so much happening at once, uh, especially compared to when Game of Thrones began, that it might be impossible to find it. But I do hope that these two shows, while created in the vein of this, are different bodies in and of themselves. Uh, to the points that we made earlier, I hope that the Rings of Power is still able to embody some of that intrigue and I think, Rich, you and I will get into this more next week when we outright preview the Rings of Power. Like, the stuff with Numenor has some of those political machinations that I feel like you can really tap into uh, that could feed that type of habit that people are seeking. But, like, not to stray, in my opinion, too far from the grandiose landscapes and the soaring Howard Shore epic music uh, that usually comes with the things we know and love. And I hope House of the Dragon, we talked about this in the very first podcast we did here on Post Show Recaps about the series, like, is able to tell a really nicely contained story within one general location that focuses generally around one family, one house, that makes you feel like there can be a story in Westeros, right? That is a little bit more simple and straightforward. We don't have to go to 15 different locations at once. And I do hope that, yeah, people themselves are not coming in expecting to see an exact same type of taste that they got from Game of Thrones, because I don't think either one of these are really going for that nor do I necessarily want them to. Yeah, really well said. I mean, I think that, that both these shows have a real opportunity. The, the world is a very different place than it was in 2010, too, right? And I think that audiences, especially after the last couple of years, may be ready for um, a little less grim, dark fantasy, right? Uh, and a little bit more high fantasy to that end. Like, really, let's escape. We don't need it to be more like this world. We want it to be less, right? <laughs> like, we turn that HBO on on Sunday night. We want a GTFO. And I, I don't know, They both these shows have a have a tremendous opportunity to capture an entirely new audience fundamentally um, for as much as we can malign the ending of Game of Thrones and the Hobbit trilogies, frankly, like, again, I think both these properties, their last outing was not their strongest work and, and coming back, they have a chance to create something that's gonna really like galvanize people around it, get people excited for the next couple of months. Um, it's fun to think about a big fantasy show, let alone two that are going to be dropping on like a weekly basis over months for us all to kind of nerd out about and dissect together that feels like something from a long time ago in a galaxy far far away mike and like i, I miss that uh there's something comforting about that and nostalgic in a way that it shouldn't be because it wasn't that long ago that i think will appeal to a lot of people right that kind of appointment tv or whatever and, and let's like get that monday game of thrones energy 
feedback or we're going to talk about it all. Um, I, I think there's a lot of like joy to be had in that to transport us back to a time uh, before all of this in recent years, you know. Mm. So there are obviously an innumerable amount of other fantasy-esque shows that have been produced either again in the vein of the success of Game of Thrones or spun-off adaptations in and of themselves. Taryn, has there been any that has like peaked on your radar for good and for bad that if there are people out there being like, I'm really into this type of stuff, I want to check out more types of fantasy shows that might exist on television. Are there any that come to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, th there's been a lot. Um, I, obviously, I, I think uh, Sandman um, that that recently dropped on Netflix is, uh, as Rich said, it's it's one of the best adaptations um, that I've seen. It's it's very very faithful to its source, and I think that's again because uh, Neil Gaiman is so involved in mm -hmm. the show. Um, and um, and that's a show I think, and it's it's a, a comic series that that for me captured the uh, mythological side, the, that Lord of the Rings sort of like uh, sense of like magic. Um, Sandman for me is like the pinnacle of that uh, because it is it is more uh, more like urban, I guess, fantasy and that it exists in our real world. Um, but uh, but it it deals with these like very high concept uh, like magic all over the place kinds of things uh, in a way that that like really directly comments on our world and and who we are as people and there are characters in it that are that go through their own journeys and and feel uh, solid and real um and uh and again like just talk about like what what dreams even are uh and and what they mean to everyone uh very much um you know i think it's the it's the perfect example of a show that uh captures that sense of wonder in a modern television show that feels like it it could have been made like you know two decades ago uh so definitely i would recommend sandman if you like that sort of thing um there's also like i mean obviously there's been plenty of like animated shows uh yeah. that deal with with fantasy some anime that exists uh obviously like avatar um which is not you know strictly speaking anime um but in terms of like uh u.s produced uh, animated shows avatar and then more recently the dragon prince um made by uh, the same people uh have been great uh fantasy shows um and i did enjoy wheel of time you know the witcher like all of these things are being made um i think that uh they each have their own sort of like fans and and people that uh, that, that don't like them as much uh but um, but there are tons of of options uh, available to you now, and I think that's really interesting. Uh, I know that like I'm honestly personally just waiting. Like Brandon Sanderson is probably uh, at this point the biggest name in like next uh, year, Taryn. Next year they're saying, and he's been he's been working hard trying to get some stuff off the ground. I I feel like mm. uh, Sanderson might be like they, you know they're trying with these existing properties, but I feel like something that Sanderson makes could really kick off. Uh, so I would definitely be, uh, watching out for that. Um, so yeah, tons of, tons of, uh, of great stuff. And then even just like, uh, you know, the, uh, the expanse ended recently. It's not strictly, it's not fancy mm. sci-fi, but sci-fi fantasy. Uh, um, it's very good, very good, uh, show that, uh, that recently concluded for now. So yeah, Lazats. Rich, any shout outs for you amongst, as Taryn is saying, a very voluminous list of things. 
there's a lot of great stuff out there. I just want to double down about the Sandman. Uh, Taryn is saying it very well, but it really is one of the most excellent adaptations I've ever seen of an original work. It's just, just translating the comics so incredibly well while also making a, a lot of changes, but it's doing it faithfully, I think is the great word. The changes are all really strong changes. And I've been so quietly impressed because this was a property that was very precious to me. And I was worried like, oh God, please don't mess this one up you guys uh and they are not it's quite quite good if you're not scoping it out i really dug the wheel of time you know uh, i was maybe a little bit more critical of it than taram was but if you are not familiar with the wheel of time and you love the lord of the rings and you love those movies and you really loved ice and fire do yourself a favor and dig in um the the first season is on Amazon Prime waiting there for you. The books are incredible. I can't overstate how much I love them. You name checked it, Mike, earlier, but The Magicians is quietly mm -hmm. one of like my favorite weird fantasy shows that they had a really interesting process where the first season adapts the book pretty religiously and then they get off script and they end up doing their own thing for two seasons or three even. And it's some of the weirdest, most wonderful. If you're a Harry Potter fan who has grown into an adult and would like it an adult weird version of that go check out the magicians it's very very fun and very wild uh animated series that i think is like criminally underrated i'll call it arcane of course which was yeah, yeah, an yeah. adaptation of sorts uh, about league of legends on netflix but another quiet one that was a video game adaptation that i'm not super familiar with is uh dota dragon's blood three oh. seasons i think a new season just dropped on netflix and it is disproportionately qualitative for a video game adaptation when i watched it the first time i was like yeah this will entertain me like good second monitor content but it was good enough that i like reset and was like no 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 i'm actually gonna watch this like i think this might be actually quite a good show uh and it is it's it's really quite quite good uh lock and key just dropped the new season that's very weird fantasy too in its own way that is fun a little bit more uh ya in that fashion uh i don't know if there's more fantasy coming i'll be talking about it i'm really hyped for this upcoming willow series mm -hmm. that sounds deeply exciting and i recently heard they're doing an interview with the vampire adaptation which is a different kind of like weird modern fantasy that i kind of love too and i'm looking forward to uh, so that's all stuff on my radar, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this is a little off the path of fantasy, maybe, but uh, Severance was a really, really good show. Oh, recently. yeah. Yeah. That, I, I would uh, say almost more like surreal than fantastical, yeah. but like sort of sort of within that same realm. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, to your point also, Taryn, like Raised by Wolves, which I know you covered with mm -hmm. Josh and Grace, also oh, yeah, a little bit like fun. fantastical, even in that sci-fi setting. Got I mean, though. Yeah, I mean, allow me to third, uh, triple down, I suppose, the Sandman recommendation. And I come from a, a different perspective in that I hadn't read uh, the the you know original source material. I'm only four episodes in. I'm trying to keep uh, up with the Rich and Grace podcast over here, but I have been immensely enjoying it. In my opinion, though, I, I feel like you really can't go wrong with like a lot of the Neil Gaiman adaptations that have existed on TV. I'll admit I fell off the beaten path a bit with American Gods, but like I... Same. I enjoy what I watched. I really liked uh, Good Omens, which was another Amazon Prime series. That's coming back for a season two, surprisingly enough. But that is another really fun, again, like Neil Gaiman, kind of like tug-in-cheek, eclectic fantasy stuff. Uh, I would be remiss not to discuss The Witcher, which I have covered with my wife on post-show recaps, has two seasons. It certainly, to Terrence's point, I think has its fans and its detractors, depending on like if you came in via the books, via the video games. Uh, people certainly have their you know benefits and drawbacks from it for what it's worth. 
I love it. I honestly think one of my favorite like modern casting choices in general has been Henry Cavill as Geralt of oh, Rivia. I think tremendous. Like, it's so perfect, Mike. You don't yeah. get better casting than that. Like yeah. I legitimately think he was born to play that role, and I think he he embodies that as well. Uh, and they have, as I mentioned before, Witcher Blood Origin, which similar to Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, is going to be like a prequel to all of this that we don't know a lot about, but starring Michelle Yeoh, who has just been killing it nowadays, should be coming out in uh, December. I would recommend, uh, I know it, it wasn't for everybody, but uh, I checked this out because my wife is a huge fantasy person and she's checked out a lot of the adaptations that you guys are mentioning. But if you're interested in like some other fantasy stuff on HBO, uh, they did a His Dark Materials adaptation for a couple of seasons. Yeah. Oh, I love his Dark Materials, actually. This is a tremendous series, and I've really loved um, the BBC. It's a BBC production, isn't yep. it, that's airing on HBO? It's tremendous. I'm definitely going to be looking to cover that when it comes back for season three, for sure. Right, and I believe that is the final season. Yes, yes it is. Uh, it because be. they're doing yes. the Amber Spyglass, right? So, yeah, but that's that's been a, a really fun thing to watch as well. We're like, there are children involved, but they certainly do not... Uh, stray away from getting into darker things as it were going from the source material. So as Taryn mentioned, like if there is stuff to check out besides the two shows that we're really focusing a lot of our discussion around, it's out there and it will continue to be out there because again, going to the bottom line of it all, Game of Thrones proved to be popular for almost a decade. And so I think networks are saying, okay, this is what people like, which listen, as like, three fantasy nerds we are incredibly happy about because we are we are lapping it up so i am riding this wave as long as it takes us back to shore uh let's shore things up as we finish up here rich any final thoughts any other topics you want to talk about as we continue to compare and contrast these two relative unknowns in rings of power versus house of the dragon yeah, final beats. I mean, we name checked him a couple of times. Taryn brought him up before I did, but Brandon Sanderson is the fantasy author who was tapped to come in and finish Robert Jordan's epic Wheel of Time series after he uh, passed away um, uh, terribly. And Brandon has gone on to be the king of fantasy. This man has quietly shattered the entire publishing industry this year, raising like the fastest funded Kickstarter of all time, I believe it was, uh, to self-publish and distribute a series of books. Uh, he is just kind of putting the word out that he's been in talks and negotiations with studios over the last couple of years, shopping some of his works around and that the ball is in motion that he, he recently said he expects by this time next year, they will be in production on one of his works. Uh, just, Put that guy's name in your roster out there, fantasy fans. If you have never heard of Brandon Sanderson before, then prepare yourselves because I think in the he, he is the the preeminent like sort of prince of fantasy fiction these days across the world. And I think over the course of the next ten years, you're going to see this guy's properties swamp your screens uh, in movie theaters and on television. And he's an extraordinarily good writer. I've not read a ton of his. Um, original works save for his ending of the wheel of time but i have a pile of his books here that i'm waiting to get to this winter when we're done watching all this tv mike those are my big closing thoughts yeah <laughs> taryn any final thoughts about lord of the rings house of the dragon or the state of fantasy television in general uh just really like you know if you're if you if you're getting into fantasy via television um you know i would definitely recommend checking out some of the books like even if you even if you haven't really been much of a reader before, uh, I think that if you like 
the genre of fantasy, um, then you are much more predisposed to enjoying the books, uh, the reading of the books, uh, whether it's, you know, via actually reading or what I do is listen to audiobooks, uh, mm-hmm. especially if you're a podcast listener, like that shouldn't be too much of a jump for you. I would definitely recommend giving it a shot. Um, there are, there's, you know, fantasy as a genre has blown up over the last, uh, you know, couple of decades. And there are so many options to choose from, from so many different diverse perspectives that are so, so, uh, interesting. Um, uh, and you know, I, I've, I've, it's too many recommendations to give out like right here, but, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a cliche, but starting with Sanderson is a pretty good entry point to a lot of fantasy. Um, but, uh, but there are so, so many, uh, great series to read out there. Um, and, and again, from my perspective, when you read the book first and then watch the adaptation, I think that's a really, really fun place to, to start from. Um, so yeah, I would definitely just recommend like uh, just get out there and, and read some of these series because it's really, really, really fun. There's no wrong way to be a fan of this stuff, right? Yeah. It's totally okay to be like the newcomer fam. Like, let's tear the gates down, right? And yeah, reading is great. You should read the books. Read the books, my friends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that either you'll gain new details that you didn't get from the adaptation. You'll be able to to take in characters a different way. I, I absolutely advocate as well. Like, listen. If you can take in a story from multiple vantage points, why not take the opportunity? Uh, so hopefully we're all advocating literacy here on Posture Recap, despite us being an audio medium. So coming up next, got a few different things. So again, the reason why we're comparing the Rings of Power and House of the Dragon is not only their similarities or similarillions in terms of tone, but also their premiere dates. Uh, and this falls not only with premieres, but with finales. So House of the Dragon is obviously going to premiere August 21st. Uh, the Rings of Power is going to premiere on September 2nd, with which has been announced with literally hours before we got on here. They just announced a two-episode premiere uh, for The Rings of Power. You never know with Amazon, right? How many episodes they drop at once. But that does set up the the schedule a little interestingly in that now we have the Rings of Power concluding on October 21st, two days before House of the Dragon concludes. So again, there's a reason why we're sort of like lumping these together in one big discussion, not only for the state of fantasy of it all, but because like we are going to be talking about both of these series in basically the exact same time frame. It's wild, isn't it, Taryn? It seems wild to me that anybody would want to go up against anything related to Game of Thrones airing on HBO, uh, which makes me feel worried, uh, but also like, gosh, Amazon must be pretty confident about what they're sitting on to be like, don't move the release dates. Uh, Like, this feels just wild to me to get my head around. I wonder if there's any amount of thought process that's like, well... Hey, if one if one of these shows catches like hey, if if House of the Dragon does get a bunch of attention and people love it, then they're going to be hungry for more fantasy and look, Lord of the Rings right here. And if they think mm-hmm. it's uh it sucks and they hate it and they're annoyed, well, we're doing it right right over here if you're looking for a solution to that. Uh like I wonder if they actually might benefit each other by by existing side by side. It's a good point that they could be simultaneously like substitutes and complements for Mm -hmm. each other because we even outlined how they might be very distinct in tone and may not actually resemble each other at the end of the day. But really interesting to note, again, we're going to be like lovingly swimming through fantasy here on Post Show Recaps. 
just to set up what's going on in terms of scheduling with these couple of shows. I'll start with Lord of the Rings here because, again, we still got a little bit more time generally until the lead up. So Rich and I are going to be doing general coverage of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. We're going to be bringing you weekly recaps. Next week, to, to be able to size everything up, we're going to do one final official preview of the Rings of Power. That's when we're really going to get into the nitty gritty of like, who do we know? What do we know? What can we expect? Et cetera, et cetera. If you missed it and you want like a really bare bones approach as to what Middle Earth is in general that also invokes the name of some of these characters that we'll see in the Rings of Power, Check out what I did with Angela Bloom last week. But Rich, I am very excited to have you on board and talk about the general great unknown at this point that is the Rings of Power. It's going to be deeply excited. I'm going to do my research, Mike. I'll I'll read the Silmarillion today. Well, okay. Well, I'll see you in like several days once you actually get through the Silmarillion because by my <laughs> knowledge, it is dense. AM. It is. Uh, but in addition to all of that, we have many, many podcasts on the House of the Dragon side. Uh, so, of course, there have been several podcasts in the lead up to it. But the typical schedule you should expect from House of the Dragon is that Sunday night, as quickly as after the episode airs as possible, myself and Grace Leader are going to get together to do a recap of the episode. So you get right there, you know, main headlines, flash in the pan. What's our immediate reaction to the episode stuff? The next one you'll hear is actually a podcast featuring these two guys alongside Josh. It is going to be the House of the Dragon book club of comparing the events from the episode proper to the events from Fire and Blood. That, of course, is going to be a pretty spoiler-filled podcast for both books uh, events as well as assumingly show events. Rob is uh, going to get on. Rob Cesarino is returning back, uh, taking the black once more to join Josh Wiggler on the wall to do a feedback show for that episode of House of the Dragon. And one more is uh, another arrow notched in the knocked in the bow that I'm not privy to talk about at this moment. Should be introduced this weekend, but another very exciting show. So all of that is, is coming out as well. In addition to Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power coverage, you can subscribe to our individual feeds. You can go to posherrecaps.com slash rings for Lord of the Rings and posherrecaps.com slash thrones for House of the Dragon. Uh, send in your feedback as well, especially for these two guys. If you have any book-specific thoughts, I believe uh, dragon at postshowrecaps.com is the one that we're using this season. They'll get sorted out to the right mailboxes so that people can uh, speak about them. Now, of course, that is not nearly the breadth of what all of us are doing on the internet at this point. So I want to thank these two guys, especially considering how much they're doing at the moment to stopping down and just like nerding out with fantasy about me for an hour and change. Uh, let's go around the horn. Let's do the usual plugs. Rich, I know that we invoked one of the shows that you're covering right now, The Sandman, many a time. Uh, but what else are you covering besides that? And how can people check out what you're doing across the internet? Yeah, so you can go follow me on Twitter. I'm at DM Philly. My DMs are open if you want to hit me up about fantasy or Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that at all. Uh, Grace and I are in the middle of covering The Sandman. Kevin Mahadeo and I talking about season three of Lock and Key. Uh, we're talking, we're just doing two podcasts to talk through the whole season. The first one of those dropped today, another one next week sometime. I am streaming Dungeons and Dragons, all kinds of other tabletop role playing games with a bunch of post show recaps regulars over on twitch.tv slash DM Philly. Uh, you can catch me there pretty much weekly and the vods for all that stuff for over on my youtube of the same name dm philly on youtube well taryn we are so lucky to have you on posher recaps in many ways not just in general to hear your voice your opinions your history etc but because 
you are up to your ears right now in a big <laughs> brother content. If people are interested in what you're doing, how can they follow all of your doings? Uh, the easiest way is to just follow me on Twitter at Armstrong Terror, and I'm always tweeting out the things that I'm doing there. Uh, but if you subscribe to the Big Brother feed uh, for Rob as a podcast, you can, of course, get all the Big Brother coverage that's happening. Uh, there's a lot of it um because there's a lot going on um so you can check all of that out you can also find me on twitch twitch.tv slash taryn armstrong i watch the episodes live with uh with you guys so uh you can get reactions in real time we do predictions about what's going to happen in the episode it's very fun if you want to come hang out there um i'm also uploading some among us games on youtube uh of like uh of us playing uh you know social strategy games murdering each other lying it's all fun and games um, and then I also have another YouTube channel called Taryn's Quest, where I talk about fantasy. Uh, I haven't been able to upload much to it lately, but uh, if you are interested in book recommendations, that's kind of uh, the next thing that I'm looking to uh, to upload there once uh, I have some time. So you can uh, go over there and subscribe so that you'll be notified uh, when I eventually do upload it again. <laughs> And if you're looking for something that very much mixes the interest of Taryn Armstrong right now, one other miscellaneous House of the Dragon preseason podcast that mm. he did along myself and Josh Regler, we had a very fun time doing Big Brother House of the Dragon, where essentially <laughs> we a bunch of Game of Thrones characters and essentially said, let's nix the original ending. Let's see if we can have a second chance for the Iron Throne. And so they all went in to play a season of a Big Brother. It was very silly as true to brain steel. Uh, it was, you know, very ridiculously at somehow like fairly uh trending towards maybe some of these actual character choices a really fun thing overall whether you're a fan of reality tv or not i think you'd like us talking about these characters in a very different setting so be sure to check that out as well as all the other stuff on post show recaps we are really in the middle of it right now even outside of this fantasy duality that we just spoke about it is finale week for both westworld as well as better call saul one of them has a series finale one of them might as well, but we're not entirely sure. I know also She-Hulk is beginning, too. We have coverage of The Bear, uh, Paper Girls, uh, with The Resort, I think, is starting to do some coverage as well. Another big kind of fantastical mystery-esque uh, Apple TV Plus show. So, yeah, I mean, things are heating up both temperature-wise and in your feed on Post Show Recaps. And we are incredibly grateful to all of you, whether you be like the most diehard fantasy fan or just a looky-loo wandering in to check out these shows for all the things we have going on. So that's going to do it for this little showdown, mix em up hybrid podcast about the Rings of Power and House of the Dragon. Next time you'll be listening to these two respective shows. I think uh, next time out, you'll be hearing that mystery show from our House of the Dragon feed. And Rich and I are going to get back together to do once more around the horn of Gondor, uh, talking about the Rings of Power, previewing what that show is going to be before it comes to our screens on August 21st and September 2nd, respectively. Absolutely cannot wait to see what happens on both fronts. Rich, Taryn, thank you so much for bringing your expertise, your always fantastic opinions. Looking forward to seeing what happens next with both the two of you and these shows. Thank you all so much again for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.